And today we have a very, very, very special guest that we're going to sit down and speak with. I know that it is my honor to sit down and have a conversation with her. Many of you know her. I don't think she's a stranger to any of us. She has been in St. Louis and in the public eye for quite some time now. She is our current treasurer. Um, it has been since 2012, I believe. Um, but even prior to that, she served two terms as in, in the community um, as a... All, nope, you weren't all the women. You state, were... State representative. State representative. Two terms, correct? Yes. Okay. So uh, without further ado, we have Tashara Jones here to speak with us. She is one of our mayoral candidates in the upcoming 2021 mayoral election. Remember those voting dates, March 2nd and April 6th. Get out and vote. We have to get out and support her. We have to get out and vote. So welcome, Tashara. Happy to have you here. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm well. Good. Let's just start off with an introduction of yourself. Tell Dutchtown, St. Louis, anybody that's listening all over the world who you are um, and what you do. Oh, great. Uh, again, thanks for having me. And uh, I, I'm Tashara Jones. I use the She Series pronouns. And um, I am the current treasurer. I've been treasurer for the last eight years. Prior to that, I was a state representative for two terms and was also uh, the first African-American and first female assistant minority floor leader in, in Missouri history. Also the first female treasurer for, in St. Louis. Um, and I've enjoyed public service. I feel like it's my calling. Um, I feel like uh, this is, you know, like I said, the work that God called me to do, it's uh, very enjoyable for me. I love to serve. You know, I think that there's a difference between a politician and a public servant, and I am definitely a public servant because I could be doing anything else. Um, you know, I've got the education and background to do anything else, but this is what I choose to do because I choose to serve. I truly have what's called a, a Matthew 25 mindset when it comes to my job, which is serving the least of these. Uh, it's, it's what I love to do. And also I am the mother of the most adorable, He'll, he hates when I call him adorable, but he is a uh, 13 year old son, Aiden. And I'm um, a single mom, and um, you know, and I am the oldest of three daughters. My my dad has two other daughters, and I'm I'm the biggest. I'm the big big sister. That's what they call me because there's quite an age gap between the three of us. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Well, welcome again. We thank you for coming on. And before we get started. We want to give you the opportunity to speak to the city about what took place yesterday at the Justice Center. We all watched this unfold live on Facebook. Um, many of the news channels broadcasted on it. What can you share with us about that? Yeah, so uh, yesterday morning uh, around 630, uh, the uh, inmates um, got out of their cells and started several fires, broke some windows. Uh, threw some things out of the windows um, and, uh, and, and staged a protest. Uh, there's no other way to put it. They staged a protest because of the conditions that they had been experiencing. And this isn't the first time that they staged a protest. We saw in late December how they also, you know, protested about uh, the treatment that they were receiving related to 
uh, COVID and how uh, they weren't being separated like inmates with COVID uh, or detainees, they're not inmates, detainees with COVID were put in the same cells as uh, detainees without COVID. So they you know, don't have the necessary precautions to take care of themselves or to keep themselves safe. And, um, and, and it's, you know, this is just another indictment on our criminal justice system and how it fails to take care uh, of uh, and treat people humane, whether they're in or out of jail. I, I definitely saw that. I received a few few phone calls about it, and, you know, it was heartbreaking because, like you said, whether we're in or out, we're still human, and we expect to be treated a certain way. And when we're not, we know that protest is the voice of the unheard. These exactly. inmates feel like they haven't been heard. Exactly. Um, hence what you just said, they've, they spoke out before in December. Yeah. Um, do you know of any plans or were any of their demands met? What came of that? What, what was the outcome of it all? Uh, we still don't know what the outcomes are other than, you know, they, um, they got the situation under control and now, you know, uh, the detainees are, are back in cells while they're trying to repair uh, the fourth floor of the jail um, where the windows are broken out of. Um, but I do have on good authority that, you know, this is a problem that has been going on for months, uh, possibly years. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate that this administration, uh, they have just chosen to kick the can down the road and they're gonna leave this for the next mayor to, uh, to address. Uh, in, in, in contrast, uh, you know, the, our city jail and the county jail were built at the same time by the same architect. Um, and uh, we haven't seen any COVID outbreaks in the county jail. Um, and their uh, detainees are treated very humanely. As a matter of fact, they're having a Super Bowl party today um, and getting White Castles. Wow. So, uh, but it's how you treat people. You know, mm -hmm. people respond um, well when you treat them with respect, you know. And, and I don't, you know, and coming from, you know, my background, my father was in prison. Um, and so, you know, it's personal for me. Um, and I think that people should be treated humanely, whether they're in or out of prison. So that being said, what can we expect from you um, if you win the upcoming election as our mayor? What changes do you think you might put in place to change the outlook the inmates have um, to improve the conditions that they are living in? What, what, what are your plans for, for that? Well, first off, I don't think we've done a good job of doing the routine maintenance on the facility. So we need to see, you know, we need a top to bottom review or an audit of the facility to see what, um, what changes need to, need to be made. Um, we also need to, to see what repairs need to be made. And then also bring in uh, staff to um, make sure that they're treated humanely um, because I will not stand for anybody being treated less than human under my watch. Um, but, you know, on a broader sense, uh, everything is going to be on the table. Everything. There are no sacred cows here. Um, and so I'm looking at, for a top-to-bottom review of all city government, all city services, to see how we're delivering services to make sure that they're delivered in, in an equitable manner, that people are receiving what they deserve from the taxes that they pay. Um, and so, you know, that's 
one thing you can expect. And you can also expect transparency. You can expect, you know, that we'll be able to put information out there to, to show you what we're doing with your money and in real time. Um, and you can expect, uh, uh, you know, your government will be open to you. You know, police will not be the only answer when you dial 911. You know, we'll put youth at the center. Uh, tax revenues will fix leaky civic civic systems. And again, your government will be open to you. Sure, sure. And I feel um, hopeful because your background as our treasurer puts you in a position to do a lot of the things that you just mentioned. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. Um, Stacy, you want to take it away? Yeah, I think it makes sense to just go ahead and stay on the topic of policing and, and public safety. Um, and it's been, what, a couple of weeks now since the Teneo report sort of dropped and, and landed in everyone's laps. And I, I think it's fair to say there were definitely some eye-raising findings in that report, but nothing surprising because I think we all live here. We all feel like there's something uniquely broken mm-hmm. <laughs> about um, policing and public safety in the city of St. Louis, and we have so far to go. How do you propose we reimagine policing and public safety in St. Louis? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and, and as I said before, there are no sacred cows, and you're you're exactly right. The Teneo report um, uh, didn't tell us anything, in my opinion, that we didn't already know, um, that we are uh, abusing overtime, uh, that that our police also have, you know, secondary jobs and, and work, you know, 16, 18 hours a day, um, that there's no communication either within department or between departments, uh, that there's no strategic direction. Uh, so obviously those things will be addressed, but on my crime and public safety plan, I'm gonna put the public back in public safety. And that means deploying the right type of professional to the right type of call. Uh, like I said before, police cannot be the only answer when you dial 911 because a lot of times people dial 911 and, and, and it's not for police involved things. You know, it's, you know, someone's having a mental health breakdown or someone is high on drugs. Uh, and so how do we deploy the, type, the, the proper response uh, that doesn't end up in a police involved shooting or someone getting hurt? And, um, and we've seen this work in other places. Uh, tomorrow, uh, fortunately, is the launch of the Cops and Clinicians Program where we'll have licensed clinical social workers and other mental health professionals riding with our officers and responding. Um, and it's the first of its kind in the country. There are very similar models, but not one where we actually have a clinician actually riding with a cop or a police officer. And, um, and I'm hopeful for a couple of reasons. Number one, I've been advocating for this since 2017, the last time I ran for mayor, uh, but also, um, you know, that, that sort of uh, accidental therapy is going to happen, I think, in, in, in vehicles while they're riding together, while they're doing ride-alongs, you know, having discussions, having conversation. Uh, because I, I, I think that mental health is health. Is, mm-hmm. And we have to, just like we have a check-in with our doctors every year, we need to have, you know, that mental health check-in every year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other parts of my crime and public safety plan is a community-first approach to public safety. And that means bringing everybody to the table because crime doesn't stop at Skinker Boulevard or the Mississippi River. And, that mean, and we need to take a regional approach because our destinies are linked. And, sh- and, we have to, and once we have that 
um, mindset that we have a shared destiny, that we bring everybody to the table, our faith community, our business community, philanthropic community, everybody has to come to the table and leave their egos at the door yes. and, and make sure that, you know, we are all working towards a, a, a common solution on solving crime. And then also declaring gun violence as a public health crisis. And when you do, you look at the root causes and we know what the root causes are. Poverty, yeah. <laughs> number one. And so how do we eradicate poverty in the city of St. Louis through workforce development programs, through making sure people are, are making a living wage wherever they work, and, and, and that all work has dignity, whether you are a janitor mm -hmm. or, um, or, or a, a nurse assistant or you know, whatever the work you do, it has dignity. And that's the way I've tried to treat my employees over the last eight years in the treasurer's office. I'm the first elected official to give $15 an hour. And so most of my employees only have to work one job and can take mm -hmm. care of their families. So, you know, it's, it's those types of um, things that, you know, I lead with because, again, I'm a single mom. And so I've experienced a, a lot of this myself. You know, don't get me wrong. I have great family support, um, but we aren't rich. You know, we, we borrow money from each other just like everybody else sure. does, you know, when we have emergencies. So, um, you know, we just, uh, you know, we, I just I just leave from a place where I'm, I'm always thinking of, you know, how can how can I solve for the problems of women and black women in, in particular? Because when you solve the problems of black women, you solve everybody's problems. It's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just in a little bit of a, a follow up on on the topic. We all live here. Uh, the data shows that we've seen an increase of 34 percent in homicides in the city of St. Louis since 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, many of those unfortunately occur right here in, in Dutchtown. Mm -hmm. um, our city data also shows that roughly 90% of homicide victims in the city are black mm -hmm. and largely consist of males under the age of 29. Mm -hmm. And this violence is often being perpetrated by the same peer group. So that, mm -hmm. that same demographic. Um, with this in mind, how does your crime strategy and how you think about the way forward address this particular demographic that is most at risk and most in need of help and support? Yeah, well, a couple of other things that happened, uh, you know, I would say over the last several years um, at our police department that I think have prevented us from uh, from from having a lower um, or, or, or the improper response, I'll say, to uh, to crime and public safety. Um, we don't. St we uh, we have scaled back tremendously on uh, certain units that would be responsible for investigating, uh, like gang violence and drug violence and, and things related to the uh, of those of those natures. And so, not only do we need to make sure that you know we have people available to investigate that, but we also need to make option give other give people other options so they don't delve into a, a life of crime that way. And right now, our children don't have any hope. They don't have any other options. And so how can we as a city provide other options for people not to uh, uh, get into a life of crime? And that means also working with our education system. Uh, you know, it should be no surprise that we've lost 21,000 African-Americans in the city of St. Louis since the last census. And I think that when we get our new census numbers back, which 
I'll put an asterisk there, they're, they're going to be, you know, severely um, um, inaccurate because of the yeah. census process under President Trump. Um, but we're going to be under 300,000 on population. And we keep, we have been on a steady population decline since the turn of the, the 20th century. And, um, and it's going to be up to the next mayor to make sure that we can stop the population loss to address our reputation as being one of the most violent cities in America and, and truly invest in people. And, you know, we've seen programs all over this country uh, in, in cities that are much bigger than St. Louis that have, they have seemed to be able to address their violent crime issues. And so I'm looking forward to learning from them because I have friends in those cities, but also we don't seem to want to invest in what works because we're not a poor city. We are a cheap city. Mm -hmm. We don't want to invest in what works to keep people safe and to, uh, and to really decrease gun violence. So we're going to have to do the hard work um, and, and make the right investments uh, to make sure that we're uh, decreasing gun violence. And that's actually one of, one of the things that I, I recognize in, in you as a candidate is that you have certainly gone out and networked, looked at other models that are succeeding in other cities, especially other cities that have very similar problems to us. And you've applied those same learnings even in your role in real time as treasurer and mm -hmm. have seen great success in terms of moving that department forward. Um, and I think that's that mindset, you know, we, we can't solve all of our own problems here from zero. Right. And ha having someone at the helm that, that is, knows that there's options out there and willing to go out there and understand those models and how they can be applied to our unique situation in the city of St. Louis. Um, I think you know, a, that's a big piece of, of what feels like it's been missing for yeah. decades. Yeah, we don't have time to reinvent the wheel. Nobody has time for that. Yeah, work <laughs> smarter, not harder. Right. Yeah. That's what I tell my staff all the time. Work smarter, not harder. And how yes. can I get you what you need to work mm -hmm. smarter, not harder? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you and you have the, the license to be innovative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the stat, that's just like a, a big... A big thing that I think we recognize as, as residents in the city is it feels like a whole lot of status quo, wheels spinning, mm -hmm. a lot of work is being done, but it's not work that's getting us anywhere. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Nobody has time for that, so it's time to, it's time to do something new. I, you know, I often look at what I'm walking into, you know, uh, God willing and the creek don't rise, if, you know, if I win, um, is almost like, you know, you see a table and it's full of like papers and other knickknacks and you just wipe everything off of it. That's the, that's the way we have to look at St. Louis. Just wipe everything off of it and start anew and just start building it back brick by brick, block by block. Rebuilding yeah. the trust mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's shift gears here just for a moment. Um, I think when we talk about crime, we have to talk about education because we know lack of education contributes to our issue mm -hmm. of crime, our mm -hmm. um, epidemic of gun violence, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So do you think that the city of St. Louis can regain 
its footing and become competitive again with other major American cities um, with our current public education? Yes, absolutely. Or I wouldn't be running for mayor if I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't believe in, in our potential. Um, and, and, and we do that by the mayor being a good partner with our education system. And that hasn't been the case for the last several years. Um, and, and I've been a partner with our education system for the last, you know, since I've been treasurer through the programs I've started in the treasurer's office that directly are in schools, like our college kids program uh, that provides a college savings account to every kindergarten child, kindergarten child in the public school. We have over 18,000 children with over a million dollars saved for their futures. And I want to expand and grow on that um, and book in that program. So not only are we taking care of kids and families at the beginning of their college careers, I mean their school careers, but also at the end as they start to graduate high school. Um, you know, how do we provide a whole host of options for our children as they come out so they, so they won't have any other option but to succeed? Mm -hmm. Be that, you know, reduced uh, cost or free technical or um, vocational school or community college or you know, uh, working with them to get uh, get access to a four-year university. I feel like that's our that's our that's what we should be doing to you know remove the barriers for success for our children. It could even be you know union apprenticeships because every kid isn't going to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. Every kid isn't going to go to vocational and technical school. So how do we engage our unions? We are a union town. We got unions everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> right? <laughs> So how do we engage our unions uh, to, to open up those doors to apprenticeships for the next wave of, of carpenters or electricians or plumbers or pipe fitters or sheet metal workers, the list goes on and on and on. So that's, and because we see that, that workforce is aging out. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how do we prepare the next generation? And those are good paying jobs. Absolutely, yeah. those are a kid necessary have, jobs. You're right, they're necessary, but they also pay well. That's an instant open door to the middle class. And so, and then once we do that, think about what that does for our city. They're mm -hmm. making 60, $70,000 coming out of apprenticeship. They can buy a home, they can start a family Hopefully they choose to do it within the city limits and remember that the mayor did that for them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we rebuilt our neighborhoods. We rebuilt and we re rebuilt this city block by block, brick by brick. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the kind of sort of radical change that I'm looking for uh, as I look at this office. And then also, you know, with the education system, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about how, you know, it breaks my heart that we are uh, closing yet another set of schools. But just like investment is intentional, disinvestment is intentional. Mm -hmm. And all of what we see happening has been intentional yeah. by the powers that be over the last several years. Uh, the intentional moving of resources from St. Louis City to St. Louis County. Uh, and nothing against St. Louis County. I love my friends in St. Louis County, but you know, when uh, I have a good friend who we, we talk history all the time he called me the other day and just blew my mind. He said, you know, WashU used to be downtown. The Hilltop campus mm. used to be downtown. Can you imagine what St. Louis would be like if they were still downtown? Mm. But Civic Progress told WashU to go west. And they had, a, a, they had an, a, a, a mantra that said, the future is west. 
Saks Fifth Avenue and Neiman Marcus used to be on Euclid in Maryland in the West End. Can you imagine what the city would be like if they stayed? But where they go? Frontenac. We have very little retail in the city. But what do you see with cities that you, that you visit in other places? They have retail in the city limits. What's the best retail we got in the city limits? Target. Now, I love Target. I'm on my way there after the kids. I do my grocery shopping. But, you know, we have to have this sort of radical ideas of, of rebuilding our city. Um, and then, you know, again, with our education system, um, all, of it, all of it is intentional. And so I see it not only, you know, I, it breaks my heart that we are closing schools and neighborhoods, but I also see it as an opportunity to reset, to make mm -hmm. sure that, that with the buildings that we have left, that our children have everything that they need in those buildings, mm -hmm. that they have access to social workers and nurses and all of the wraparound services that our kids need. And so I look forward to working with our superintendent like I have been for the last several years um, as a partner, as an active partner, to say, you know, hey, how, how, are, how are our babies? Because that's how I look at, our, at the kids in the schools. They're yes. my babies. Mm -hmm. How are our babies doing? What do you need? Who can I call? What kind of barriers can I take down to help you be as successful as you can as superintendent? So we can, uh, so, so when we talk about the, Sumners and the Beaumonts and the Soldans, that, that kind of pride comes back in our mm -hmm. city, right? Right, because, you know, back in the day, what high school you went to? I went to Soldan, oh, you know, or I went to Sumner, you know, that there was a sense of pride. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's the kind of pride I want to return to our city. I, off topic, uh, off topic, just a little bit, I was picking dinner up for the family the other day and that very conversation happened right in front of my daughter and I. And because she doesn't attend a St. Louis City school, when we got in the car, she said, what was that about? I said, that was the love for the city. That was the mm -hmm. love for the schools. And mm -hmm. she was mind blown by that. And mm -hmm. they were some of the graduates talking about how they had been there. He said, I know you. We went to school together. Mm -hmm. So they just talked about the past and the history. But I still have my mother's old, t she's, she's been gone for 20 years, but I still have her old T-shirts from mm -hmm. Soldan. Mm -hmm. you know? My whole family graduated from Right, Soledad. right. And there's a pride there, like, yes. yeah, yeah. You know, so. so one of the things that you said to me um, that really stands out I think that in other conversations made me feel a little uneasy. Um, you said that as the mayor, if you win, that you would form a partnership with the school district. I have heard from mayors and mayoral candidates that there is not any real power in being mayor when it comes to the St. Louis Public School District, right? They feel like they can't do anything to improve our schools. How do you plan to use the office of mayor to champion and prioritize St. Louis public schools? Yeah, so you're right. The, the mayor has no power over St. Louis public schools, but that doesn't mean that we can't be a better partner. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't uh, have an open door policy with our superintendent and school board and charter school leaders, because we gotta, we gotta look at all of our mm -hmm. op educational options. Charter schools are here to stay, like them, love them, hate them. Um, and, uh, and we have to have an open door policy with all of our school uh, 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 school leaders because the goal is that every school, no matter where it's located in the city, should be delivering the same high quality education and we should have the same outcomes for every child because I want to build a city where 
you know, you can succeed regardless of your zip code, what school you attend, what color you are, um, who you worship, who you love, how you worship, who you love. And so that that's the guiding principle. And those are the guiding principles of my administration. So, you know, I'm I'm going to be a better partner with our school district. And that also believe that's that's also uh, relates to our policies, our tax policies, uh, because the, the, the mayor may not have any control over the school district, but they do have control on over um, tax tips and tax abatements and how much money goes to our school district. Mm -hmm. Because 60% of our property taxes go to our school district. And if we keep giving money away like Halloween candy, then we are, we are going to expect our schools to do more with less. Yeah. And we've been doing that for years. So again, it's intentional. Just like the disinvestment is intentional, just like giving stuff away is intentional, um, investment is going to be intentional. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. about that. That that's a that's such a great point. And I, I think, you know, education has a, a direct link to poverty and crime. Mm -hmm. Um and education, the state of our public education in St. Louis is certainly a a big factor in attracting business to St. Louis. Absolutely. And big business that would potentially relocate employees to St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we've seen the horrible unintended or intended, you know, impact of the decisions that have been made for several decades now about St. Louis public schools. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's, it, it's, such it's such a critical part i think of of the success of our our city moving forward and and that touches a little bit on where we want to go next which is really talking about development in the city of st louis but but really mm -hmm. equitable development mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. there's been a lot of criticism regarding the heavy development of the central corridor mm -hmm. relative to other parts of the city in your opinion, what can be done to achieve equitable growth and development in historically under-resourced parts of St. Louis? We're in one of those neighborhoods right now in Dutchtown, bordered by Gravoy Park, Crondelette, and then of course our sister neighborhoods in North City have historically and intentionally been under-resourced as well. How, how do we change that? as a, a policy, especially directed at from the, the very top from the mayor's office, moving forward and achieve real equitable development? Well, the, the mayor can decide to veto bills that um, of, with, with tax incentives for areas that don't need any more tax incentives for development, right? Over Of all of the tips and tax abatements that we've given out of, since 2000, over 50% or just a little over 50% is, in, is located in four wards and we are not sitting in one of them, <laughs> okay? Um, and also, you know, of those 150 plus tips and tax abatements, very few, if any, are north of Delmar. Um, and so, tip, you know, tips and tax abatements are good things for development if used the right way and if used responsibly. And we we haven't we've given them away like Halloween candy and and given them away to in in neighborhoods that didn't need any development and we also don't go back and look at um, is it achieving its stated purpose um, or if a person then sells that 
uh, that development after they're done, then that TIF doesn't need to stay with that that development. Sure. Case in point, Whole Foods mm-hmm. in the West End. Number one, didn't really need a tax abatement because they were mm-hmm. going to build that anyway. <laughs> okay. And the, people were going to come. It's Whole Foods. <laughs> it's Whole Foods, right. And you're building apartments above Whole Foods. Who doesn't want to live in an apartment building with a Whole Foods on the, on the ground floor? I would personally prefer Trader Joe's, but that's just me. <laughs> of course, um, same. Right, instead of Whole Paycheck. Um, and, uh, and then the guy sold it a couple years after he finished, and he's gone. He's made his money. Mm-hmm. But we still have the tax abatement. For another, you know, 15, 20 years. And 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 who loses? Our kids. Yeah. Um, so and 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 I and the the treasurer's office had a, a, a tax increment financing project now two blocks a block away from Whole Foods, the uh the Argyle uh the Argyle garage, which holds a Schlafly branch of the library. Mm-hmm. So that was built by the treasurer's office before I became treasurer, obviously. And we ended that TIF early and gave $8 million back to the school district. But begs the question, how many other TIFs are in the yeah. same predicament that could be ended early mm-hmm. because the money's already been recouped and we can give that money back to our school district and back to our city Repurposing. because that is not a tax, you know, the, the, we're not getting any taxes off of that. That's That's the the tax increment financing, right? So we need to take a long, hard look at all of those tips that we've given away, all these tax abatements. We don't have to do at 95%. You know, maybe we do at 40% or 50%, um, you know, because the more taxes we give away, that, you know, where that money goes right in the developer's pocket. And we need to attach community benefit agreements to these projects, these large projects. If we're going to be giving our tax, taxes away, Community, the community that needs to benefit. We need inclusionary zoning for um, for market rate apartments to include uh, a, a certain percentage of affordable units. And if you're not going to do that, then you need to put some money in the affordable housing trust fund so we can go build some affordable units in another place or help our unhoused. Um, so there are a whole host of development tools that we could be mm-hmm. using to help the community, and we just don't because we don't ask. We don't Gosh, have anybody at the top that's pushing back. That's such that's such a great point. And and you know, those three or four points that, that you've just, you know, even stated there, those those are really well known tools. Mm-hmm. And you're right, we're not wielding those tools, you know, whatsoever. And I, and that's absolutely leadership at the top. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the book really does stop there. So as part of your platform, you've been talking about reinstating the position of the deputy mayor for racial equity mm-hmm. as part of your platform. Um, and, and that's, can you just explain a little bit more about what that position would bring to the table and bring to St. Louis and what it would look like in practice? Yeah. So uh, that position um, was originally um, uh, put together by Nicole Hudson, who was previously head of head of uh, Fer- uh, the Fort Ferguson Commission, Ford through Ferguson, mm-hmm. and um, and I had consulted with her at the time when she was putting the job description together, and um, 
and she, I, I was questioning. I'm like, are you sure you want to do this? She's like, yes, I can make changes from the inside. You know, da 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 da. I'm like, well, okay, girl, I'm I'm with you. <laughs> you know, let's do this. And then within a year, she was gone, and they never replaced that position. But in my opinion, that position is to be the mayor's eyes and ears um, in, in other meetings when the mayor's not able to be there to make sure that we are looking at every policy, every procedure, every dollar spent through a racial equity lens. Mm -hmm. um, and then also making sure that we are taking all of these reports that we've already done. We don't need to do another report, <laughs> another story, another study, nothing. And, and putting together a strategic plan forward taking all of those calls to action to see how we can integrate those calls to action in, in, our, in, in city government. How do we move forward and integrate those calls to action in city government? That's Health Equity Works, that's Forward Through Ferguson, that's uh, Greater St. Louis 2030, that's the, the Ethical Society of Police report on racism in the department, mm -hmm. that's uh, the, um, uh, the fire, uh, black firefighters report on racism in the fire department because the one thing that we didn't talk about with the Teneo report, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, You're fine. digressing, is that the same things that are happening in the fire in the police department are also happening in the fire department. So let's not forget our first responders, mm -hmm. and I will I will not forget our, our our firefighters and our EMTs and EMS people, but. We need to take all of that data that we've already collected, put it in a strategic plan, pet, uh, uh, chart a path forward, and then say to corporations and philanthropy, if you wanna invest in the city, this is the way forward, this is what you can do. Because mm -hmm. I think they wanna invest, but we just don't have a plan. Yeah, and a plan is always good. All right, if you fail to, you, people who fail to plan, plan to fail. This is true. I tell my kiddos that all the time. The mm -hmm. easiest way to fail is to not have a plan. Mm -hmm. It's easy. Mm -hmm. I, I like the idea um, of having an extra set of eyes and ears, especially since it's going to make sure that um, it levels the playing field for right. everyone. That right. That's key. Mm -hmm. yeah. So let's turn our attention um, outside of education Voter accessibility is probably the mm. second most important mm. um, topic to me. So let's let's talk about voter participation uh, here quickly. We have a little more than 300,000 people in the city of St. Louis, yet fewer than 60,000 people participated in the last municipal election where mm. we elected a mayor. Um, that's less than 20% voter participation in our municipal elections. That number increases for state and federal elections with voter participation reaching over 65% most recently in 2020. Mm -hmm. The white St. Louisans tend to turn out at rates of 60% or higher, while black St. Louisans tend to turn out, I think it was maybe the mid 40s mm -hmm. or so. Mm -hmm. um, as mayor, what can you do in coordination with the Board of Elections to expand voter participation and access to voting? That's a great question. I, I think that we can, um, we don't have to look any further than our, our colleagues in St. Louis County uh, when it comes to voter participation. Um, uh, St. Louis County recently uh, instituted a policy where 
you can vote at any polling place. Wait, 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 wait. Say that one more time for us. Say, say, one more time. <laughs> St. Louis County Institute of the Policy, where you can vote at any polling place in the, in the county. Um, and, and, and that's crucial, right? Because uh, it could be that you live on a, a Shreve and Taylor, but you work by Barnes Jewish and the closest polling place is the Schlafly branch of the library. So you can go on your lunch break and vote and not have to go all the way back home uh, to vote. And that's, that's one thing we can do. Uh, the other thing we can do is, is um, uh, work with the state legislature to see if we can get uh, no-fault absentee early voting. Um, uh, the other thing that I think we, we, can, we can do, and we're already on this path with, with the current election system that we'll have in the, in the mayoral election with approval voting, I'd like to see ranked choice voting. Uh, let's just go, and let's, but approval voting is, was easier and it didn't cost anything. Mm -hmm. So this is the, the model that we have. It's not perfect, um, but what, what tweaks can we make to make it, to make it more perfect? Um, and with ranked choice voting, you have an instant runoff until that person reaches 51% and we're not governed by the minority. You know, I think people like having choices and, and this is the first election where people will be able to vote for more than one candidate in the primary. And you're finding that, you know, people appreciate that and, and we won't have that horrible vote splitting that we had in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 you know, and I've received a lot of criticism, you know, from my own people about supporting this. And, um, and they, they, you know, they say things like, well, you know, she, she, uh, they're, they're saying that I'm totally responsible for it. I'm not, I just supported it. 68% of the people voted for it, right? I was one. <laughs> and, 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 but I believe that, that people deserve choices. You know, we, and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people just don't like change. Mm -hmm. They say they won't change, but they don't like change. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we have to take the bull by the horns. And, and just move forward. Yeah. Well, that was actually my, my next question, was to ask you if you supported the Vote Anywhere initiative. And I think you already- only, I'm the only candidate in the, in the mayor's race that supported it. Wow. What does that tell you? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. And, and I stand the most to lose. I stand the most to lose, right? <laughs> you know, that, that's definitely like singing from our, our hymnal because you know, especially when you when you live in a, a neighborhood like Dutchtown and, and we have precinct level voting, we get so many people that get so turned around because their polling place mm -hmm. changes if they move two blocks over. And, you know, we have a lot of neighbors who travel, you know, a good distance to get to work. And it would be so much easier if they could vote closer to where they work than mm -hmm. have to vote in the neighborhood. And it, I, I think the, the more people that get out and vote and have their voices heard, the more likely government's going to, to reflect their, their needs mm -hmm. and its implementation of services. Right. And we see, we already saw that we have the capacity to do it, mm -hmm. you know, before the November election. There were three different voting stations, three or four different voting stations across the city where you could vote early um, mm -hmm. if you, uh, you know, according to the governor's order, which he didn't extend, which is totally another topic. Um, 
but you could vote early um, if you, you know, were afraid that you would catch COVID on election day or any other excuse, or, you know, they had the health excuses as well. You were over 65. And there were four different voting polling stations set up across the city in different libraries. And you could walk into either one. We have the capacity to do it, but do we yep. have the will? Yep. Absolutely. So moving, moving on a little bit, um, you know, we have a status quo issue in, in the city of St. Louis where Great. we just, Great. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't move the ball forward at all. And I don't think that where the, you know, the ball is currently in place is, is adequate whatsoever. It's not working for, for really anybody. Um, and we want to achieve real gains. You have a lot of progressive ideas, uh, some of which require long-term vision and planning. Mm -hmm. What do you believe can be accomplished in your first four years? Mm -hmm. And what areas of your platform do you believe we just require that longer-term commitment as St. Louisans to achieve the full intended impact? Right. So the, 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 I think the first um, two, so everybody always asks me, like, what are your top three priorities? And my top three prior, priorities are crime and public safety, recovery from COVID, and economic mobility. Um, and the first two are going to require, you know, laser focus attention over the next four years. You know, so I, I want to see a market decrease in gun violence. And, and, we'll, and we'll work to bring all of the necessary pieces and resources to the table uh, to ensure that that happens because, you know, it breaks my heart every time I see a story on the news of someone losing their life to gun violence. And, and that story of that father and that daughter broke my mm. heart even more, you know. And he moved. He moved to try to have a better life for him and his <laughs> daughter. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's... That one, that one just really broke my heart. And, you know, so those, and COVID recovery, obviously. Um, we're still in the middle of a pandemic as we are sitting here with our masks on, socially distant. <laughs> um, and, uh, we're, and, and, and we have, the, the next mayor is gonna be responsible for distributing those resources as they come down from the federal government and making sure that they're distributed equitably. And my goal is to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to get vaccinated if they want to. I know there, there are people who, you know, don't trust uh, uh, our health care system, and rightfully so. Um, but uh, I want to make sure that they have the information to make a decision that's best for them and their family. And I also want to make sure that we are getting uh, to herd immunity as much as we can. Um, so, and... and watching that, you know, so many black and brown businesses failed. Um, and, and a lot of, you know, and a lot of other small businesses failed too. But, you know, anytime that there is a global pandemic like this or a global sort of incident, um, black and brown families are the ones that hurt the most. And so how do we recover going forward um, and making sure that whatever resources come down from the federal government are, are distributed in an equitable manner? You know, when when I think of that, 
I think of friends that I personally know that did not get approved for PPP funds this last go round, but you have these large corporations that benefited from it that and didn't need it. Did not need it. When you mm-hmm. when you think of the two, they did not need it. Mm-hmm. Right? We're we're one of those businesses that did not get approved um, the first time around, mm-hmm. and and thankfully we were okay, but I do know some people that have had to close their doors for that. So Mm -hmm. to hear that you're going to have a plan implemented, because I think that it's important to say that we are still, I repeat, we are still in the midst of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's not over yet. Hopefully we're Mm -hmm. close to being out of it, but we don't know that. There's a new strand of it that's just been talked about, right? So to hear that you have a plan that's not only going to focus on black and brown businesses, but all, but we do know that black and brown businesses, black and brown people are hurt the most mm-hmm. in these situations. Right, so right. I, I look forward to seeing the progress progression right. of that plan. And, and one more piece about, you know, my small business, because we know that small business is going to be the, the way that we recover, right? Those, that's the key to our, our economic recovery. So how do we uh, prepare our small businesses for the next time to be resilient the next time around? Because there will be a next time, mm-hmm. right? And the one thing I heard from, you know, a ton of my friends who had small businesses who were looking for resources was that they weren't, and this is no fault of theirs, you know, they're just, they're, they're getting their hustle on, Right. And so they weren't prepared. They didn't have their bail team together. Mm-hmm. They didn't have an existing banking relationship and a relationship with an accountant, an insurance agent, a lawyer. And so how do we provide those resources to make sure that they're resilient and prepared the next time around? And that's, that's part of my economic development plan, you know, making sure that we make it easier to do business in the city, uh, the people who are either getting a new business license or opening a business or renewing their license can do that uh, in a in simple and fast and possibly online mm-hmm. um, and working with, you know, our license collector's office and, and other offices that you have to spend a half a day going to the city to take care of that. You know, we're, y'all don't have time for that. Because most of us are working full-time jobs yes. to help keep our businesses afloat. Exactly, exactly. So... What can we do in the mayor's office to make it easier for you to do business in the city and then get out of your way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's key. And I, I love those resources because, like you said, many people, no matter what color you are, when you are starting a small business, it starts out as a passion or a hustle. Mm-hmm. So to be able to take that and grow it to the next level where you have the accountants, you have the banking relationship, mm-hmm. that is what's going to grow small businesses. Right. That's what's going to put us in a position to hand our small businesses off to our children. Generational wealth. Correct. That's important. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's new for a lot of us. Yes. That's yes. brand new for us. Mm-hmm. So to hear that that is something that you're going to equip us with, hey, check. Check. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's not about not giving to, you fish. It's teaching you how to fish. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not to mention that small businesses really make a neighborhood neighborhood and and really you know add to the community but 
you know, that's part of the unique experience of being able to live in a city environment is being able to live in a neighborhood that has an ecosystem even of it of its own. Right, right. Exactly. Recycling that dollar, keeping it in the community. Exactly. So exactly. you'll you'll have to come back when I know today is grocery shopping day, but um one once you're free and you have some time, come back and visit our downtown. We're we sit right in the center of downtown Dutchtown. We have Several small businesses right here. Yeah, at, at Urban Arts, I've been there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> Urban Arts and yeah. lots of great places mm-hmm. over there. So yeah, mm-hmm. when you have some time, come come on back down. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's do a quick fire round um, to get your hot take on some issues that are on the minds of many St. Louisans. We'll run through these questions and give you um, an opportunity to provide us a brief one sentence answer. Okay. Hey, do you support ward reduction? I support the will of the people. They voted for ward reduction, therefore I support the will of the people. Great answer. Do you support the privatization of the St. Louis airport? No. Wonderful answer. <laughs> Is there any reason to provide tax abatements for single family homes in the Central Corridor this year and beyond? No. We talked about that. We don't need to put resources where they are no longer needed. Let's build everyone's community up. Should the residency requirement be lifted for, I'm sorry, across the board for city employees? You know, this is a tricky one, but I think that if we went through, we went, well, number one, that's again, a will of the people, right? We Mm -hmm. had it on the ballot and the people said no. So I support the will of the people. However, you know, we, this is one of those things where we have city office and county offices. County offices are not, the employees in county offices are not required to live in the city currently. The only person that's required to live in the city is that county office holder. So, um, and and I don't make it a requirement of my employees. My my predecessor didn't, so I didn't, you know, come down on that. Um, uh, So that's, that's tricky. But we're going to change the trajectory where people are going to want to move to St. Louis. That right there. (laughs) And then work for our government. That's what we're about to do. (laughs) And and, and as an educator, it has always been my desire. As a little girl, I knew I wanted to be a teacher, and I knew I wanted to see my students when I was walking around the neighborhood. Mm. I knew I wanted to be at the grocery store and say, they'd be like, hey, Miss Smith, and I'd be like, hey, right? That's Mm -hmm. just been a goal of mine, to live where I teach. And I haven't um, well, I grew up part of my life in Jenny's and I teach there now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am fulfilling that part of my dream right now. But living in a city now, I don't teach in a city, but that's definitely something that I want to do. And, and I even think with our police officers, if you work in the cities that I'm sorry, in the communities that you patrol, Mm-hmm. It makes a difference, right? Mm-hmm. Then you know my little brown kid that's running around, and if he's in right. trouble, you bring him to me, and you're not nervous when you encounter him. Exactly, so, exactly. And and just a, a, a quick story there. I was talking to my son about what a mayor does, mm-hmm. and he said, well, Mommy, are you going to be over the police? I said, yes, the mayor is over all of the police. And he said, well, that means I'll be safe. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that stopped me dead in my tracks. Mm -hmm. My son's mother should not have to become mayor in order for him to feel safe. Yeah. 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 And tens of thousands of our children don't have that option. Yeah. So 
so then, you know, I, I internalized that to say, well, how can I try to change the culture of our police force where they look at our children as children, where our children have the, the, uh, the, the leeway to make mistakes? Because mm -hmm. that's part of being that's a kid. part of growing up. Yeah. Right, right. Hell, as an adult, I need leeway to make a mistake. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> There's no cutoff for that, is there? No. Um, so moving us right along, do you support term limits for municipal offices? Yes. Yes, I think I, I would like to see the mayor have a three-term limit. And I say three instead of two, because at, at two, after your second term, you're a lame duck. Three yeah. gives you an opportunity to, you know, do some more stuff mm -hmm. and then make a decision on whether or not you want to run for that third term. And I'm speaking from experience. One of my best friends is the mayor of Denver, Colorado, Michael Hancock. And I mean, when I say he's one of my best friends, he's like a big brother because he gets in my business sometimes. <laughs> but I, I talked to him and he just ran for his third term in May of 2019. And I happened to be out there on Election Day at a conference. And we talked through it, you know, whether or not he was going to run. He was hemming and hawing. I don't know if I'm going to run. And he finally decided to run. But again, that was his choice. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, while now, of course, you know, this is his last term, but still he goes out on his own terms. Mm -hmm. and, and I think after the first term, you're just warming up. The second term, you're you're. You're in your stride. Right, that right. third, you get to see things through in right. your third term and implement new beginnings. It takes eight to 12 years to see any real substantive change. In any field. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. True. Uh, do you support the city-county merger? I support doing things differently mm -hmm. and, and, and being more collaborative with the city and the county. Um, I have a great relationship with County Executive Sam Page and several people on the council. So I look forward to uh, actively working with them to see what we can do better, how, what areas we can combine yeah. um, and save money for both the city and the county mm -hmm. um, because we, I think our citizens deserve that. Um, uh, and I, I support also putting the freeholders process back together because we need to have that conversation. We haven't had that conversation since 1876. Mm. <laughs> right. I wasn't even born. Right, right, before, no. <laughs> before, our, grand, you know, before mm -hmm. our grandparents were born, right? And, um, and, and, and our citizens deserve to, to have that open conversation in, you know, in open space about the future of their region, about the future of St. Louis City and County. And then if they decide that they don't want to do it, that's on them. Yeah. But at least we, we don't want to take that choice away from them. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Um, do you support, this is, a, this is a big one, do you support paid parental leave benefits, including competitive maternity leave for city employees? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a woman. I'm a mama. Right. Period. Period. <laughs> I, I love the, the yes on that because I believe that um, women and have men. a, and men, of course, you know, we want we want fathers to to be able to um, contribute to family life in a, in a big way, um, but but there this is a huge barrier for women in mm -hmm. business and in government and being able to contribute. And we know that when women are at the table, outcomes mm -hmm. are 
better. Of course. <laughs> and and I, I supported in, in, in my office. So my, my chief of staff and my deputy chief of staff have both had babies uh, since, you know, they've been working for me. And I supported both of them going home for at least three to three to four weeks mm-hmm. to, you know, if, if, if that if that home was being at home with their wife or with their spouse at the time or she was already back at work, they know that that I support whatever they have to do for their family. Go do it because this will be here when you get back. Mm-hmm. All of it. All of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we can handle it without you, you know, because we're women. We, right. we've got this. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> So that that pretty much leads us to what what we like to consider sort of our our signature question the the whole concept of the the miseducation podcast um, is about helping provide a little more clarity on topics and discussions um, that might have a lot of misperceptions or misconceptions around them, trying to really break it down for people of our neighborhood and and the people of St. Louis. What do you believe is the biggest misconception out there about Tashara Jones? (laughs) We don't have time for that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I would say the biggest misconception that that I constantly see is that I'm an angry black woman. Mm. And as you can tell, I'm not. Uh, um, or uh, I would say the second one is, is that my father runs my office mm. and uh, that I'm not my own person. That's because they want to take the, the male out of our homes anyway, though. Right, right. That's right. historical. And, and my father jokes with, with his friends that, you know, he I'm the oldest of three girls. And he says, I've, I've raised my, my daughters to be too independent. And I don't think they're ever going to get married. <laughs> They're like, sorry, daddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he has. He has. Um, he's, he's a feminist through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he raised us to, 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 you know, to be on our own, you know, to, to, to not need a, a man but him, right? <laughs> but um, I think those are probably the two biggest misconceptions. I will say one of the things that I've I've learned from sitting down with you today is that there's there's two more Jones girls out there. Yeah. Watch and out, I, world. Watch out, world. I'm so tickled by that. I, I, I want to know more. Yeah, one of them works on my campaign. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I want to apologize to you because at the beginning of our segment, I said that you were an alderwoman and have my notes right here in front of me, but I know that you were not um, an alderwoman. So state rep, two terms. Yes. Um, As a black woman, you have broken through many, many, many barriers, right? There, There are lots of things that you were the first to do for us here in St. Louis. And I want to thank you for that. And um, this this misconception of being the angry black woman, unfortunately, that's never going anywhere for us. That's something yeah. that people like to hold on to when we stand up mm-hmm. for ourselves, when we stand up for others. Mm-hmm. That's just the title they like to put on us. So I haven't seen any anger 
this entire segment. And when we I'm reached just passionate. out, I'm passionate when it comes to to my people. Mm -hmm. As you should be. Yeah. We, yeah. we have to. And that same kind of passion is is awarded in men, mm. and you know, mm. and mm -hmm. cheered on in men. Mm -hmm. But that's yeah, you know, relabeled. <laughs> And men. Mm -hmm. It is definitely relabeled in men. Mm -hmm. that, we, that's a whole nother segment. Right, and a it's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we just want to thank you um, from the bottom of our hearts, the entire Dutchtown community, yes. um, for coming on with us and sharing yourself with us. And we wish you the best of luck um, on the campaign trail. And if there's anything that we can do here in our community, because we do have um, the most dense community in St. Louis, we, we, we totally have the ability to swing an election for whoever mm -hmm. we get behind. So if there's something that you all need from us, let us know. We are out here. You saw the sign when you I came did. in. I We're did. encouraging our neighbors to get out and vote. Um, we're part of the DJA, which is the Dutchtown Justice Alliance, myself, Stacy. We have two other friends, Lindsay and Amanda. We all started that together. And what we do is get out and get folks registered to vote. Mm -hmm. We volunteer at the polls mm -hmm. to help out on election day. So all of that being said, good luck. Thank you. Good luck. Good luck. And Dutchtown is here. If you need us, I'm part of Dutchtown. So I'm saying Dutchtown <laughs> is here if, if you need us. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, yeah, good luck with their campaign and... Thank you for sitting down with us today. Yeah, anytime. Yes. I'd love to come back.